0: Las Vegas. The Heat Wave Sports Show is owned and produced by Tim Unglesby. All opinions expressed by the host or guests are their own and are not endorsed by either radio station KRLV Management or any of their advertisers. It's time for Heat Wave Sports. Sit back and relax as you take a tour around the world of sports each and every Saturday and Sunday night. And now, your hosts for Heat Wave Sports Tim Unglesby and Tom Barton. Unglesby and Tom Barton.
1: Good Sunday night, Las Vegas. Yes. Good Sunday night, Las Vegas. Welcome on in. It's He Waves. Welcome on in. It's E-Wave Fox Sports, Sports, Sports Radio 98. AM. 1340, 1340 AM. 1340 it's, AM. Tim it's Tim Unwillsby. It's uh, Tim Unwillsby. No Tommy Barton tonight. Uh, Tommy no Tommy Barton. Off, tonight. So Tommy with the night off. It's so me. It'll and be my me. special, who and my special guest, 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 who will bring be on here, Matteo behind the board tonight on this Sunday night edition of on on this Heat, this heat, heat Wave night Sports. 13:40 AM, 99.1 FM. 876 87613. 8, 8, the Heat Wave hotline. And of course, over on Twitter at HWSports. We're on every weekend, ten to midnight. Here on the Lotus broadcast. Here on the Lotus broadcast station. My co-host tonight. My co-host tonight. You probably heard him on. Probably heard him on. Every every radio station. in Every radio station in this and across, town of Las country, well, well, and across the country, as Chris well. radio personality. Chris Win. Chris, always Winn, a pleasure to have you Chris, back on the show. Chris, Always a pleasure to have you back on the show, man. Well, we'll see if we can grab Chris here we'll in a second. See if we can grab Chris here in a second. As we look at as we a, look an at interesting week a, here, interesting here interesting in, the, week world here. in for sure. the world of sports. That's for you sure. In the world of sports, that's for sure. it's you know it's. With the, with the playoffs starting on the NBA in here, here in the NBA coming here up. Tuesday, here Tuesday. Tuesday. We had the NHL we playoffs the NHL begin playoffs began yesterday. And, of yesterday, course, we're going to bring up of our top story, here, top in story here in a second. Major League Baseball. Another week in the books. Another week in the books. And, uh, and uh, teams starting to team separate, starting themselves, to separate in themselves in themselves certain divisions. In certain and and divisions. there's still a lot of and surprises as well That that we need to talk about and see how long these teams can maintain themselves here as the summer begins and you know about the dog days of summer we'll look at that as well in our number two always nfl news there's always something going on in the nfl we could toss the ball around a bit as well as i bring in as i bring hopefully in this time hopefully this time radio radio are you with are us here, with here us on wave sports, on E-Wave sports. E-Wave sports. Apparently not. Maybe not. Maybe Chris, if, Chris, if, if, you, can if me, you can hear me, you just, just want to call in on the, the hotline. Hot see line, if, we see if we can do it that way. 8 7 i am not, not sure why, not why the, uh, why the uh, connection, connection isn't working. Isn't isn't but, working but. As, I said, as I said, NFL, NFL always a always topic, no matter what part time of the year it is. Doesn't have to be in season. Always have something to discuss the NFL. Aaron Rodgers dominated that talk here. The last, the last couple weeks of it's weeks cool down, down a little bit, a little so, bit, so that's, where we'll, that's see, where we'll see this happen this unless, happens, there is, unless there a trade, is a trade, which we can, which talk, we can about talk about when it comes, when to, it comes to fruition, fruition to but all things, things point, point towards, towards Roger Rogers in a pack, in a pack in form. form on week, on week one. Do we have have Chris win?
0: Yeah, Tim, I think I have you now. Got you, buddy, got you,
1: buddy, got
0: you. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I switched over I to switched the. Over uh, to the cell phone. Uh, cell phone I'm getting an echo. I'm getting but, an echo. But I'll try to. Uh, I'll try to. We'll right, deal, right. right. deal, yeah, right. deal, deal. deal, with deal with here. We'll deal here. get this going. Get this going. Hopefully, Mateo.
1: Hopefully, Mateo kicks that for us. That for us. doesn't work on it. Work on You know, Chris. I was just discussing everything going on. At this, time of, this year, time of year, and two sports, and two sports begin their postseason. Begin their post-season. Uh, well, well, NHL, NHL, NHL yesterday, yesterday and the NBA this, this, this week. But our top but our story top tonight, tonight: the postseason beginning for our own local team, the Vegas Golden Knights. Game one over T-Mobile Arena against Minnesota Wild. Wild,
0: great old fashioned playoff hockey game we got today, my man. Yeah, no question about it, right? We have action across the board. And can you hear me, Tim? Yes, yes, yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, then opportunity to, uh, you know, we got day one of the Stanley Cup playoffs yesterday with one game, and then, of course, you get uh, into the media schedule on on your Sunday, and, of course, the Vegas Golden Knights highlighting it for a noon start here local time, and, of course, 3 o'clock in the East Coast, and you got a tremendous goaltending matchup, right? You're talking about, obviously, you know, two goaltenders playing at the top of their game right now with both Talbot And, of course, Marc-Andre Fleury. And it was impressive to see what the Golden Knights did there for the first half of this hockey game. Right, Tim? I mean, they came out and played really well. They were, you know, all kinds of chances for them offensively as well as, you know, obviously we saw what Marc-Andre Fleury did between the pipes. But, of course, a game like this, it it, it just takes one crazy bounce, right? One crazy opportunity. And all of it can, uh, can go sour. If you're VGK, and apparently that uh, that was the situation. No, look, there was no question that this Minnesota Wild team could have absolutely scored four or five goals in regulation in this game, but, you know, without the you know, tremendous saves of Mark andre Fleury. So that was Im- impressive, to say the least, to see him out there and what he was able to do. There were a couple of opportunities that uh, went by the wayside when it came to, to Vegas, where you had Mark Stone with a with a tremendous Dipsy Do move, where he wasn't able to finish it off there, and you could have thought they could have scored there, and and kind of broke the ice in this game, but of course they went back and forth, and then you know all of a sudden third period ends, and what do you have? You're going to overtime, and we've seen you you obviously Tim as a Washington Capitals guy myself as a Detroit Red Wings fan. Once you get into overtime in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Things, uh, you know, could go either way. And unfortunately for Vegas, you had a a situation where you have a sloppy play there from uh, Petrangelo, your defenseman, in your own end, and it proves lethal as Minnesota is able to kind of like bounce it back and forth and then get the puck in front of the net where the shot ends up getting fired and, and basically caroms off of Alec Martinez's skate and ends up going five hole into Marc Andre Fleury between his legs and then all of a sudden you've got the wild with a one nothing victory and a one 0 lead in the series. And uh, I look I gotta admit, as someone who, you know, just covers the team, doesn't have a dog in the fight, I had to feel very bad for Flower in this game, Marc Andre Fleury. I mean he played tremendous and yet comes out on a losing end here. And, uh, and I'm interested in your thoughts and I'm sure it's going to be uh, a lot of chatter here in the next 48 hours. What does Pete DeBoer do when it comes to the goaltending position? Because there hasn't been a distinction yet as to whether or not they're just going to roll with Marc-Andre Fleury or if there's going to be some type of you know tandem deal between him and Robin Leonard. And, I, I mean, I, Tim, I just can't see it. I can't see the Knights in some way, shape, or form going away from Marc-Andre Fleury. I and say, yeah, game two, we're going to roll with Robin Leonard. I just can't see it. I guess it could happen, and maybe Peter Moore does pull the trigger on that, but I would be shocked if that's the direction that they would go. And I was uh I'm
1: not sure if we lost Chris there, Mateo. let see if we can grab him back for us. Chris was talking yeah. About, okay, yeah, Yeah. I think yeah. I'm back. All right. I got gotcha. you. You know, I'll, I'll give you I'll give you my quick synopsis on this, since we always like to talk about the overreaction in, in professional sports. And by the way, uh, if you're if you're a hockey fan, you're enjoying today three overtime games. As a third game has just begun, overtime Calgary Vancouver tied at five over on ESPN Plus. If you have that package, you can check that out. You know, Chris. The, Tommy and I talked last week about you just mentioned the 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 ability to have the top goaltender tandem in the league, and mm-hmm. I had said, well, if for some reason Flurry gets bombed, does he make make the switch? And we agreed that yeah, probably that'd be the situation. In this case, Flurry didn't do anything wrong, so I I assume he will in the pipes in game two, you know. And for, for me, it's more more of a the matchups make what the playoffs are all about. And it just seems, right, right, Chris, that Minnesota, Minnesota plays well against Vegas. There's no doubt about it.
0: And, and you just, you know, look, if you're a VGK fan, you just hate this, right? Because this is not, I mean, you were trying to uh, kind of, you know, get things situated. So you didn't have to face this type of scenario. And, it's interesting because you you know you, you go around town and there's so much optimism optimism and rightfully so with 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 the Vegas Golden Knights here and and I get it but this is playoff time and it's put up or shut up time and and you know as someone again who's not a fan of the Vegas Golden Knights but observes them and admires this franchise from, from afar um and that and that was a tough way to go down today and and you would expect that Tuesday night they'll be able to bounce back and, and turn this into the series that we all expect it to be. But there's also a scenario, Tim, too, where if they lose game two, uh, we all understand uh, what, what kind of direction this, this series most likely will go. And, uh, I mean, I, I, I talked about this with uh, with a couple of our friends today, and I just think people's if, if Vegas goes down in game two, I mean, heads will be exploding all over Vegas. You know, I mean, it's just going to – it's it's going to be that type of situation where people are going to start freaking out and panicking. And so uh, that's not the way you want to start the series in game one.
1: Before we jump into my disdain for Vegas Golden Knight fandom because I think that it's already started with the jumping off the, the bridge. Right. And, and that's just the typical – it seems to be the typical Vegas uh, sports fan mentality when that when, when everything is going great – they're uh, they're the toughest people to be around because they're so boisterous about their team. But when everything's going bad, it's, you know, they might as well sell the team and move them out of town. But, you know, a lot of it starts in the media, too. And, and I want to be critical in that. I understand that a hometown media should, right, Chris, kind of favor the team that they cover. And right? I get it. I understand all that. And I'm, I'm not saying, you know, you're right. Right. You put up 42 shots on the net. You assume you're going to get one or two, and enough to win and win a playoff game. It just, it just didn't happen today, you know. Cam Talbert stood on his head as well, but Flurry, as you mentioned at the top of the show, very well. If that was another goalie in there, Chris, Minnesota could have had a three spot up early in the second, and this game's over to begin with. So, a lot of ebbs and flows in this this game today. And it's not like Minnesota's just this terrible team, Chris. Right? They they're right there behind Vegas in the standings, and, you know. Well, they finish? I think, six or seven points behind Vegas in the standings. But it's a team that played well against Vegas this, this year. And now the momentum switches. So when you're a team like Vegas, which is used to, in their four years of existence, Chris, oh, pretty much winning most of their games, now you're behind an eight ball early. Does that pressure – here's that pressure that they're not used to again and that playoff failure pressure that we've seen in the last couple years. This all starts to come to a head now.
0: Well, you bring up the fandom – And it's so interesting, right, Tim? Because the scenario here is extraordinary. And we've talked about this on the show before. We talked about the the viewpoint of Vegas Golden Knight fan and of this town and kind of how everything has shaken out over the years. Let's be straight up about it, Tim. They are absolutely, positively, beyond all belief, spoiled, as a fan base yes. and that's not a bad thing i'm not saying it in a bad way i'm not saying it in a critical way they have been to the playoffs every single season this team has been in existence okay they went to the stanley cup final in year one obviously we talked about all the time you know root 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 uh 91 the shooting everything that that went down there uh, kind of you know the town galvanizing around each other it was a, it was a it was a obviously horrifically tragic moment, but from a sports standpoint, as far as the Golden Knights, it was a proud moment as a city, as a community, to come together, re, you know, dealing with that tragedy as well as having, you know, the Vegas Golden Knights in their first season here, opening it up, and then and then everything that's kind of happened over the last four years, obviously what went down, in, you know, in San Jose in the playoffs and how that all that all transpired. And so, I mean, I, I, I would expand on what you just said. I, I, I don't think that the fan base here necessarily understands what it takes to, you know, as far as being a fan in the NHL just yet. Because there's been, it's all been rosy. It really has all been rosy. What's been, like, the worst part? I'm talking about, you know, from a franchise standpoint, I'm talking about, you know, horrific shootings, but I'm talking about Vegas as a town. What's the worst moment that the Vegas Golden Knights have had as a franchise, probably I would contend it was the firing of Gerard Gallant, right, and the transition to Pete DeBoer as the head coach. That's probably like and how that all, you know, and all the the background behind that. That's like the worst thing that's happened with this franchise. Everything else has been good. I mean, it, it you, you've had you've brought you've made solid trades, right, or what looked like to be solid trades. You picked up guys. In, in in Robin Leonard and and obviously you know the moves to get a get a stone here to get a patch ready here you've got some young players that have pan now Look, obviously the loss of Nick Suzuki is not going to look too good. We the jury's still out on Eric Brandstrom and some other pieces. The trade of Tatar, those things. But and for the most part, it was that it was that that whole thing that went down with Gerard Gallant. And with upper management, and now you have brought Pete barn That's like the worst thing that's happened. So I, th- there's been no there's been no adversity on the ice, or or just off the ice for this franchise yet. So that's the reason I bring up this whole situation. Yeah, like I mean, it's and and Mondo's right. I mean, look, and, and a lot of fans here are going to. I'm telling you, Tim, and you know it as a Capitals fan. I know it as a Red Wings fan. People are going to their heads are going to explode if the Golden Knights lose Game Two on Tuesday night. People are going to start freaking out. They're going to start, you know. And look, I'm not, I'm, I am not i do not have a you know crystal ball in front of me, so I don't know how well Flurry's going to play because I think Flurry's going to end up between the pipes. But I and I don't know what this how this team's going to respond. Yet, I would expect them to win, but it, it's by no means a guarantee. So, uh, you know, for, for me. It's 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 a situation where uh, it's it's your backs are against the wall, right? I'll wrap it up by saying this: the back, the Vegas Golden Knights, their backs are against the wall. We'll see how they respond Tuesday, but if they do end up in up on the losing end on Tuesday night, I, it's 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 going to be interesting to say the least to see the reaction from the fan base here. But and also, you brought it up from the media. Because the media, look, there is, there is kind of this baked in feeling, I guess, for all media around the NHL as far as covering their teams. I wouldn't say that they root for the teams. I, I, I wouldn't go in that direction. But, but I, wouldn't, I wouldn't contend that is the case. But there is a, there's a fondness, you know, of, from media members across the board. And this is, I mean, again, it's a brand new franchise. So the media is brand new. Covering the NHL, I mean, there's, there's, I mean, let's be straight up honest about this. There are people, you know, here in Vegas that never covered hockey before in their lives before the Vegas Golden Knights got here, and there are people like us who have worked in the media who have who have actually played the sport, like myself, and who have covered this and have either covered it or have been a monstrous fan of the sport for decades. You know, and there's, there's other people in the media, too. And I don't need to name names, but you know what I'm talking about, Tim, who are, are just like me and just like you, have, have been fans or have covered the team or covered, you know. But there are others that are in the media here that are brand new and that have no idea, you know, and, then, and, then, and that didn't really, that weren't familiar with the sport, really, you know, up until uh, until 2017. So I, that, I think that kind of contributes to the – the disconnect, I guess, is the word I'll use when it comes to you know the media and covering this Vegas Gold Vegas Golden Knights team here in Vegas, and uh, and I think that that has something to do with it too with, with the perception out there, and you know you know you know how the media is here in in today's day and age with Twitter and, and Facebook and Instagram and all this other stuff out there. There's all you know you you can you can be a media member when you're not you know a traditional quote unquote. Media member, so that all of that put into it, I think is uh, is what makes the unique situation here in Vegas uh, even more special. And I think that you know it's and again, like I said, Tim, I'm gonna I'm gonna be interested to see Tuesday, uh, regardless of the result, how it is it is covered and how it's going to be responded to, not just by the the players on the team and not just by the coaches and not just by the front office but by the fans here in Vegas and also the media.
1: Game two Tuesday night, as Chris said, at T-Mobile. And look, our our good friend Armando Vasquez, Texas, he's right. He said, relax, it's only game one. Absolutely, 100%. My, My whole point is, and you said the phrase, and I think it rings true, the Vegas Golden Knights, are backs, are up against the wall. And you'd be like, why would you say something like that? It's only been one game. Because this is a team that in the playoffs, pressure-wise, has not been good. Look at their four years of existence, right, Chris? They, they make an amazing run in season one to the finals and get dusted after having an opportunity or leading in after leading in that series, right? Right. Game two, game two or se- season two, eliminated in the playoffs. Season three, and people will say, well, the refs screwed them, the Sharks. It doesn't matter. It should have never been that deep of a series for me to begin with anyways. And, yeah, the, the, uh, the shenanigans that happened in that game probably would never happen again. But they allowed San Jose to hang around in that series, and that's what, in my mind, cost them. So this year, again, right, most wins in the regular season. You, you get the team into the situation where when, when they were looking at the matchups, Obviously, they would have wanted St. Louis in round one, Chris. They've dominated them all year. Minnesota was the Achilles heel for, for Vegas. And, again, it was a great hockey game. One goal was scored. It could have went either way in overtime. As you said, playoff hockey, overtime hockey, is a completely different level than regular season hockey. And I kind of hearken to the, what you had said about Peter and Angelo making a mistake in that overtime period. And he did. And Chris, where do you hold people responsible? You went out in the in the off season, paid this man a lot of money to be your top defenseman. He is. He's not supposed to make mistakes like that.
0: Am I right? Well, here's the thing, right, Tim? You, your key guys. You're not winning Stanley Cup playoff series if your key guys are making huge mistakes, right? I mean, I'm not. Am, am I going, Am I? Am I crazy there with that statement? I mean, you're not. It's not going to happen, right? So you haven't. You don't see teams throughout the years. Come Stanley Cup playoff time, if you if you have scenarios playing out where their best players are making mistakes in overtime, late in games, in situations where it's nip and tuck, where it's a zero zero game, you're just you're not gonna be winning, you're not winning series if, if that's the case. And look, to to anybody out there who says to me, Well, it's only one game, you know, don't don't start pushing the panic button just yet. I would say this to you. Just look at the matchup. It's, and look at the numbers. Look at the record this season. I'm not talking about other seasons. I'm not talking about, you know, 2000. I'm not talking about their run to the Stanley Cup final. I'm not talking about their loss to San Jose three two years ago in the playoffs. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about this season. All right. You brought up, and Tim, you brought up a great point. Yes. They would much rather play a team like St. Louis. Okay. than play the Minnesota Wilds. There is a reason for that. There is a method to the madness, which is what I say all the time, why they didn't want to play Minnesota in the first round. It's not a great matchup. And on the ice, we've seen, we saw the record this year, okay, between these two squads. So, yes, it's not. It's So, obviously, it's one game. So, if you're Pete DeBoer, the coaching staff, if you're the Knights players, you're going to look to regroup and get back up, get back on the horse, and, and grab that victory in game two. Game two. But, but hockey, fans, hockey fans, sports fans, period. Like, if you're, it doesn't matter if you're talking hockey or baseball, basketball, whatever. You know, you lose game one, okay. But if you lose game two, obviously doubt starts to slip in, right? And you start to wonder what if, and you start to question, and you start to sweat, and you start to get nervous. And that's exactly what, I mean, I'm not telling you anything that you don't know. I'm not telling anybody out there that's listening what they don't know. People start to doubt. And if, that, if they end up going down 0-2, which, by the way, two games at home in this series, I'm not going to call it lights out, but I'm going to say there is absolutely deep concern over the Vegas Golden Knights in this series if that's the case. And then, you know, you project out to, you know, if they do lose the series – what, what's what's that going to mean from a franchise standpoint as far as you know their viewpoints on beat the board and uh, you know and and the other the players they brought in. you brought you talked about Petrangelo. we talked about Mark Stone. we talked about obviously Pateretti, who by the way, you know it, that's his I'm, I'm concerned about him obviously from a, from a physical standpoint, okay because this, this is the Stanley Cup playoffs. this isn't just the regular season where you can kind of slide by without guys like that. They need ready. and so if he's not going to be available, that's going to be a, a, a tough spot for them, too. So, yeah, I mean, I, I look, I think this is a, absolutely a scenario that there is reason for concern, despite the fact that it is just game one of the series.
1: I'll say it, Chris. Game two is a must-win game. You have to win that. Or else I think put so. You, yeah, it yeah, puts you in a spot where you're at, at after, if you go down 0-2 at home, you have to win four or five to win the series and you have to do that three times on the road it just becomes um, you don't want to st- stack those cars against you and and you're right patch is being out huge hole but mark stone this is your your captain he gets one shot on goal chris unacceptable again i blame mark stone i blame and i blame obviously in a game with that had very few mistakes i ultimately peter angelo made the biggest mistake I blame him, and I blame Stone for not making more of a presence there for himself offensively. And let's not mention where Mark Stone disappeared last year
0: in the playoffs as well, Chris. And a quick note, too, Tim, on that, on other guys that need to step up. Alex Tuck's got to be able to step up. Obviously, Carlson's got to be somebody that puts the puck in the net. You've got to get more out of the likes of Riley Smith and even Nosick and some of these other guys. You've got to get production, okay? It's all fun and games. You know, if you get, you know, your captain rolling in March stone, it's all fun and games. You get March or so is able to get on the scoreboard. It's all fun and games. if You get some of these other pieces, but yeah. I mean, those guys have to be able to, they have to put the puck in the net in this series or else they don't have a chance. And I was kind of surprised too. And maybe I'd, I'd like to get your input on the situation with Ryan Reeves, Ryan Reeves, right? Obviously injured for weeks. I mean, he didn't even st- He wasn't even on the ice. For basically the past couple of months, he's able to get back on the ice as far as you know, as far as practice and, and get him ready for the playoffs. But then, but he comes out here and and I, 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 look, this is my personal opinion. He looks like he's out of shape. He doesn't look like he's in playoff shape by any stretch of the imagination. And that's a big that's a big question mark. I mean, you, you can't you can't really afford to put guys out there if they're not going to uh, you know. Be, put, put themselves in a position from a physical standpoint where they can be effective And and look I get it he's not he, he's look he's not somebody who's going to go out there and he's going to start you know start lighting the lamp he's not somebody offensively that's going to be your real factor but and we know what his role is but at the same time I mean there's a reason why you need to have uh, you know there's a reason why Keegan Gullisar and some of these other younger guys are in the mix it's because you expect them to be able to produce when they're out there and I don't know what Ryan Reeves' impact is going to be in this series if he's not able to get to a point physically where he needs to be.
1: I agree. And he only yes. played barely 10 minutes today, Chris. He's obviously not 100 when you talk no. about being out there. And uh, I'm not, I, you know, honestly, no, no offense to Ryan Reeves at all, and I'm not sure he doesn't care what I think of him. I'm not a, not a fan of his, his hockey style or his game. I don't, I don't think he's, in my mind, a what they need to win a title but that's why I do radio and uh McPhee and, and Foley run the team right but you're right if he's going to be out there though Chris he has to be 100% or or give give the opportunity to somebody else and let him get healthy because we know his role I don't I don't know if that's that's the you know if he's not healthy his role doesn't matter it's, it's not going to matter I think all around we everyone you know I read a lot about how oh, it's just a game, and and Vegas played great today. I don't think they played great. I don't think they played great at all. I think Minnesota played absolutely fantastic. And I think this game probably should have been somewhere in the neighborhood of 4-1 the other way. But Vegas had opportunity to win this, and it just wasn't meant to be. And I think if you really look, Chris, over the years, Vegas has always found ways to win close games, be it at the end of a game tying it up and and then getting a game-winning goal somewhere, or in the overtime period they're, they're able to find ways to win something different again this time, right? And now the pressure's on. But who am I, right, Chris, when they could win the next four games and I, I look like an idiot? And if that's the case, then that's the case. But right now, after one game, they're not the better team.
0: Well, you're, you're not an idiot because right now it's one nothing Minnesota. And you characterized the game. You talked about, you know, you didn't think Vegas played great. I, I would I – would, probably look at this game in a different sort of way. And I kind of expanded on it a little bit at the top of the show. I don't know how much got cut off because I was might have been bouncing around with the clean feed. But it, in my, my analysis of this game, I thought Vegas played well, you know, for the first, you know, period and a half of this game. And they had opportunities to score and they had opportunities to get the lead. They weren't able to do it. Talbot, look, there wasn't any situation where I looked out there and saw Cam Talbot and said, oh, he made some unbelievable saves, right? He wasn't – he wasn't – you know, just stoning the Golden Knights at any period of this hockey game, but it also wasn't a situation where the Golden Knights were out there just, you know, just with a barrage of offense. And Talbot was the one just kind of like, you know, kind of fending them off. Then, in the second half of this game, hockey game, Tim, it was a scenario, and this was played, and this was talked about on the national broadcast on NBC, where they, where they, not, they talked about it. They said, "Look, it, it, there was, there was a view that." They had found their game, Minnesota. You know, going in, going into the second period of that game, and you know, to the back end of the second period, into the third, it was absolutely clear that Minnesota had found its game, and and there were many high quality scoring chances for the Wild in this hockey game, where, as you, I think you just pointed it out, it could have, it could, I, I think it could have been four, five, nothing you know, oh, no. if, if it was some other goaltender in there, and we talked, and I was here with some Vegas Golden Knights fans watching the game, and they they, they said it flat out. They said if, and, and I'll do you one better, they said if Robin Leonard was between the pipes that it could easily bend 4-1 to one or 5-1 to one Minnesota in this game, you know, going going into the late third period. Now, obviously, we saw what happened. It ends up being a 0-0 game going to overtime, and, and Minnesota gets the, you know, gets the goal in OT. But this wasn't by any stretch of the imagination. This wasn't a situation where, you know, Vegas was just dominating them the whole game and nobody could score. And then Minnesota got some lucky goal in overtime. That's not what happened. It was a, absolutely a situation where you saw why that Vegas has had problems with this team all year long. Okay. And we saw it more so in this second period and then going into the third and then, Minnesota gets the goal in overtime and wins the game, and now we have a situation where it's one nothing. So, I mean, I, I would uh, – while I wouldn't say, you know, that Vegas didn't didn't play well, I would say that, you know, they missed an opportunity. And, well, look, every every game, every playoff game in the Stanley Cup playoffs is an opportunity, but this one obviously goes to Minnesota, and now they, they have a ch- chance – and Tim, correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of NHL teams, when it comes to playoff time, right – you get that split on the road you're happy right you're happy mm-hmm. so i think that minnesota right now while they're going to look to go for their what they would think would be the jugular with getting a 2-0 lead you get you get a you know you get a hammer grip on the series if you go up 2-0 but uh, a split and they're not going to be completely devastated let's put it that way
1: so knowing how vegas likes to start games quick do you expect an, an over rush in Game Two to open this up and get the crowd into the game more? So they're already going to be hyped up, but get a goal early, like they've done, to where you really put the pressure on the opposing team, and hopefully that leads to another goal or another goal, and all of a sudden they can kind of just put the game away. Do you see them doing that as usual, going out and just storming right off the right off the face off?
0: I do expect them to have a monstrous Tim. Sense of urgency coming into this hockey game in Game Two. Now we've talked about the atmosphere; it's been great, by the way, here in Vegas. Over nine thousand fans. Obviously, we understand we're coming out of COVID, so we're talking about you know capacities and all that. But nine thousand fans, and I was actually at the game today, but uh, I talked to a couple of the media members, and they said that it was it was raucous in there for nine thousand fans. It was loud. So you know it's going to be Tim. You know it's going to be amped up there at T-Mobile Arena on Tuesday night. So I expect nothing less than that. So I expect energy in the building and the and, and just as much energy coming from the players in, in Vegas, obviously, you know, like I mentioned, backs against the wall type of mentality that's going to be needed. I really question though. I'm telling you, Tim, I really question whether or not though they have the goods to come out there and just get a barrage of goals, you know, right off the bat. I think it's that, uh, I really anticipate this could be a real nip and tuck type of game, just like in Game One, where you know you'll have solid goaltending on both sides, and offense may be hard to come by. So it, it may be another scenario. I, I really do envision maybe like a 4 four three three to two type of you know gut wrenching you know battle back and forth type of game in Game Two, and. Again, I mean, I look. I'm not, I don't know if we want to make predictions this early on the show, but like, I do predict that Vegas is going to come out on top on Tuesday. But it's uh, it's not going to be. Let's put it this way, Tim. It's not going to be some seven to one or five to one game that that Vegas is victorious in. It's going to be something along the lines of three two, you know, some type of tight tight hockey game where I don't think the floodgates will be opened by any stretch.
1: That's Chris Wynn, Tim Be here on Heat Wave Sports, Fox Sports Radio. We're going to take our first time out of the evening, and when we return, we got the NBA playoffs starting up this week. I'll get Chris's thoughts on who he likes to hold up the, the trophy at the end of the year, and this play in turn, we're going to talk about that as well on the female side. The WNBA kicked off this weekend, and our aces were in action. We'll look at that on the other side of the timeout. It's Heat Wave Sports. It's Fox Sports Radio ninety eight nine FM thirteen forty AM We're back here on Heat Wave Sports, Tim Unglesby and Chris Wynn tonight. On the Sunday night edition of the show, talking hockey. Yes, the Vegas Golden Knights drop a one nothing decision in Game 1 of the first round of the playoffs to Minnesota. Game 2 will be Tuesday night here in town. Chris, just an overall thought so far on the opening weekend. You had four overtime games, including one that just finished Calgary with a 6-5 win. Tampa five four over Florida today a tough game for Lightning but they get the, they get the uh, the defending champions get the win the Islanders in overtime over Pittsburgh and then yesterday the Caps Chris in overtime over the Bruins so hey we got we got a nice steady dose of hockey of overtime hockey playoff style
0: yeah we might have got the most fun game right there at the end here on a Sunday And the matchup obviously of the two Florida teams down there in Sunrise Florida as the so that game, I thought for sure, was going overtime as well, too. So I thought we were going to get overtime all over the place. But it started out, obviously, yesterday with the Bruins and the Capitals and a matchup. By the way, I had the Bruins in that game. And it was one of those deals where Boston gets down in that hockey game and then comes back and, and, uh, and ends up tying it up. And then, of course, uh, Washington. And, again, this is, this is uh, sometimes how things pan out. When you have uh, overtime, whether it's in you know reg- in regular season or in when it used to be in regular season when they had overtime, or uh, you know obviously in the Stanley Cup playoffs, a quick goal you know right off the bat, right coming out of the locker room almost as the Capitals and getting the the uh, tally there to win that hockey game. So I was a little bit surprised by that outcome, but uh, whatever went, went down today, as uh, the Islanders looked solid in that win as well too, and of course we talked we talked to. Uh, about the Vegas Golden Knights a Minnesota Wild Game, but that, that uh, was, a, was a great way to end the, uh, the NHL night in the postseason because, Tim, uh, as I'm sure you're well aware, they were still playing regular season hockey in Vancouver tonight <laughs> as the Canucks were taking on the Calgary Flames in a regular season tilt, which just screams Mr. Oglesby of a money grab because they know the Canadians up there love their pucks. And so we're going to play regular season hockey when we're already two days into the Stanley Cup playoffs. That is something that uh, I got to be honest, never thought I'd see much of.
1: Do you, do you agree with the sentiment that the division where Pittsburgh, the Islanders, Boston, and Washington would be the, is the toughest – road to hoe to come out of into the next, I mean, just coming out of that division alone, it's a murderer's row of teams.
0: I would say that's the fair assessment though, but I would contend that the West division, you know, I, am I'm, I'm still, you know, you're, you're talking about some teams here that not only have, you know, Stan, Stanley cup pedigrees recently here, you know, when we're talking about teams like the St. Louis blues, but, uh, that, that West division stuff, but yeah, it, it, it makes sense that you've got, uh, you know, some quality hockey clubs over there in the East that have been battling all season long. And so they are tested when it comes to facing quality, quality teams. And so that's to be expected, but you know, but you if you look at the Vegas odds of, of to win the Stanley cup, though, that I don't know if that necessarily plays out. I'm not looking at it right now specifically, but there are, uh, there's no question there are teams there and, and, the, the one feel-good one, obviously, besides we're uh, being local here, being in, in Las Vegas, to see the VGK hoist the Stanley Cup, there's a fan base up there in Toronto that has gone decades without a Stanley Cup championship. So I think if, if, if the, the Maple Leafs could find a way to somehow end up winning the whole thing, it would be, it'd be a great feel-good story for the NHL. Now, obviously, we're talking about the Canadian division there. With Toronto, it's not obviously not what we're talking about with Boston and Washington and those teams in the uh, essentially in the Northeast division. But um, I, I agree. I yeah, agree I think it's Toronto. a fair assessment. It's a fair assessment that you're making.
1: But I do agree with you. I think if Toronto were to win the Stanley Cup, it not only would be a great story in that a Canadian team would win win the cup for the first time in forever, but also that the Toronto franchise would win the cup in the first time forever. You know. As much as it's it's great to be, I'm an American hockey fan, you need the Canadian teams to be strong for, in order for the league to succeed. And I think this year, because they only had to play each other, Chris, it, it really put more of a sunshine spotlight on them. And I'm going to be interested to see how the playoffs run. I mean, look, Toronto, you said it, the number one seed in the Canadian division. They only played till, what is it, Thursday, I think. It's a game one of that series. So a lot of time to rest and be ready. It's it will be interesting to see the team that comes out of that division and how they adjust to playing the set American franchises that they have not seen all season long.
0: Yeah, there's no question. The feel good story is absolutely viable. I I think, I think about the teams like the Maple Leafs. I think a lot about like the New York Knicks in the NBA. Right, we would say, oh, it's it's always great for the NBA. The teams like the Knicks are good. The Lakers are good. It's great for the sport. I think the same thing when I think about, you know, teams like the Maple Leafs, like the Montreal Canadiens, and look, the Canadians have won cups, I guess, you know, fairly recently, but that, that Toronto franchise has just been either mulled in mediocrity or it's just been just atrocious. So to me, and, and the fan base is just absolutely huge, not just in Toronto, not just in Ontario, but across Canada for that team. And so, you know, yes, I mean, it'd be great if a team like the Oilers won it, or if the Vancouver Canucks could win it, you know, or the Ottawa Senators, but it would be a huge plus, I think, for the NHL and for hockey fans, both, you know, south of the border, i.e. I- United States, and also north, up north, too, in Canada, if Toronto was able to pull this off. So, obviously, that's a big if. we got a lot of things that need to happen before that happens, but it would, uh, it would definitely be a good thing for for uh, for, for hockey fans and for uh, the NHL.
1: So let's move from the ice to the court. Chris, the playoffs start in the NBA next weekend, but you got the first-time play-in tournament to decide seats 7 and 8. Just quickly, what are your thoughts on just their addition of this? And, and look at the teams. There's a lot of marquee uh, franchise names in this play-in tournament, both in the East and the West.
0: It's interesting to say the least. Right. I mean, I think I hanker over to our, our love for baseball, right, Tim, and and kind of how that's all worked out with major league baseball in the playoffs. And you have this, you know, it, it, it generates interest in seasons with teams that might not necessarily had any interest. Right. You had no shot. And especially if you want to harken back to the days of just the American league East and the American league West champions, um, it's always great, and it adds more interest, right, when there's more teams that have a chance. And so from that standpoint, I think it's, it's a lot of fun, and it creates all kinds of intrigue. Now, there's obviously others out there, and LeBron James, of course, has come out and talked about it, and, and some other players as well, that they, they're not really huge fans of it, and they would rather go back. And, and we'll see exactly what kind of happens, because obviously, this is all taking place because of COVID-19, and, you know, the whole setup, the short season, all this stuff. So I don't, I don't know necessarily moving forward what the future is going to be as far as these types of, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten teams playing, you know, uh, nine-seeded teams playing or ten-seeded teams playing nine seeds and all this other stuff. But this season, there's no question, right, Tim? It creates interest. And, and the matchups are, uh, you know, are going to be fun, to say the least. You get, you, know, you get a Memphis Grizzlies team taking on a Spurs team in Memphis this week. You got obviously the Lakers and the Warriors is a marquee matchup given what Steph Curry has been able to do this season and the discussion LeBron talked about it after the game tonight where the Lakers got the victory to cap off the season in New Orleans. LeBron talked about Steph Curry believes he's the MVP and that's going to be a marquee game on Wednesday night. It's going to be a nationally televised game and and there's all kinds of prospects for these teams, right, Tim? Because you're talking about the opportunity to either win a game and then be set in a series against a, against a team in the West, or lose a game and then you're kind of like in a, in a scenario where you need to, you know, you need to, you need to pull out a victory if you're a higher seed. You know, it it, it, is, it can be. I gotta be honest, Tim, and maybe it is for you too, but for me, it's kind of confusing. At some point, because you got you know okay, okay, so you're a seven seed, so you can you can afford to lose one game or whatever, and then but you as long as you win the next game, you're still in the playoffs, you know. But if you're a ten seed, you're screwed. It's 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 kind of confusing, but at the same time, it's exciting because it's it gives the feeling that these games are uh, they're important, and it also gives a feeling kind of like of those early NCAA tournament games, right, Tim, where you're playing those play-in games. They're called play-in games. Technically, I guess, to the first round of the NTA tournament, not really, because it's it's almost like you have to play to get yourself into the tournament. I kind of get that feeling too with these NBA, with the whole format and how the NBA is doing this.
1: You feel the with the Lakers struggling, Chris sets up for a, and I hope not being not not a Lakers no. fan the the ultimate comeback here, Chris.
0: Well, the ultimate comeback you're, you're referring to the Lakers and and being able to repeat as champions is that kind of the framework you're thinking of, right? Is-
1: as As a, it's been a um, it's been a tough season for them, right? And LeBron and the injuries and AD with the injuries and and them being basically where they're going to be seated if they if they you know looking at the draw if if they can make their way through that not not being fortunate enough to be a one or a two seed here, it would be, it would set up for a Hollywood story, wouldn't it? To, to go back to back with the way the situation is.
0: Yeah, there's no doubt, but it's the Lakers. So there's always drama around the Lakers anyway, but it's added to it because of what has happened here. You mentioned the injuries, obviously the LeBron, obviously the AD, you know, you had Dennis Schroeder who was out with the COVID-19 stuff. And so there's been other guys that have been hurt too. I mean, there's been points in the season where your number one go to guy has been Kyle Kuzma, you know, and you needed Alex Caruso to go for 17 and eight for you to win a game. So there's no doubt that there is that that intrigue that, well, if they can do it and if they can weather the storm and get out of this early early playoff stuff, you know, and get to a matchup where they do take out a team like the Utah Jazz, or they do take get in a matchup against the Los Angeles Clippers or Denver Nuggets or, you know, and and are able to be victorious and able to triumph over all the, because you you pointed it out, there has been adversity for the Lakers this year, despite the fact they're NBA champions and myself and Tommy and you, we kind of got into this whole thing about what, you know, is it an asterisk from last year? And, you know, because, because of, you know, obviously when you're in a global pandemic, how the whole, uh, things shaped out as far as the NBA playoffs last year and to go from that and to transition into this season where it's, you know, again, you're in a pandemic, but you're now we're trying to come out of it. And so like things are loosening up a little bit. So it's, it's not really the same and you're not doing any of the bubble stuff, you know, so, so there's that aspect of it too. But yeah, I'm on, I, I see you working. I'm on board with what you're saying. I can see a, a situation where, but but at the same time though, Tim, dude, think about it this way. Uh, people, there's a lot of people out there that are not rooting for the Lakers. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's a lot of a lot of of teams of, of fans of teams out there that cannot stand the Lakers, and so are waiting for them to fall on their face and can't wait to see somebody like the Utah Jazz bounce them in the playoffs, or even heaven forbid, a team like the Warriors, you know, beating them. Or some you know, or some other, or, or the Phoenix Suns if they match up against the Phoenix Suns in round one, they you know they they would look at the Suns as the upstart team, even though they have a veteran, obviously in who's a you know who's another MVP candidate. But yeah, yeah, but I but uh, but I I understand the direction you're going. I see I see where you're coming from there, and yeah, I think there is an element of two where where it would be kind of cool, I guess. For basketball fans to see this Laker team be able to fight through what they've had to fight through and still end up raising the the Larry O'Brien Trophy at the end of the season, I think that that's something that that basketball fans either could live with or would enjoy immensely.
1: I enjoy the fact, and you, and you just look at the West, right, Chris? The yeah.
0: Utah Jazz, the
1: one seed, Phoenix, the two seed. I love it. I, you know, it's not we're not used to seeing that, and you have your your All Star teams lakers seven the clippers are a four you know so just in the west it's going to be great to see who comes out of that and hopefully it is a utah or a phoenix in in my even or a denver i like denver a lot too i'd like to be one of those three teams chris i think the clippers and the lakers they can they can find early exits as far as i'm concerned but what's the other side of that ultimate turnaround would be what if steph curry can get the warriors somehow chris into the NBA Finals again. I don't think it's possible. I just don't think the team's deep enough, but that's a great story as well.
0: Well, isn't that what we're talking about when we talk about playoffs, right? In the NBA, Tim, we love the storylines, right? We love the opportunities. You bring up these teams, right? The, the, the Denver Nuggets, you know, the Denver Nuggets have no history when it comes to going deep into the NBA playoffs, i.e. the NBA Finals and winning it. You know, so that'd be a tremendous story. They make all those deals, right? They bring in all these players, uh, you know, blockbuster trades throughout the season. And so they have a whole revamped roster. The Utah Jazz, what a story that would be, right? The Jazz have been, you know, at the mercy of teams like the Chicago Bulls and, you know, and and Los Angeles Lakers for decades. And if the Utah Jazz were able to win an NBA championship, what a story that would bring and, and you know, the pride in Salt Lake City for that, obviously another team, the Clippers. The Clippers, are you kidding me? This is the L.A. Clippers we're talking about here. Obviously, different mindset now. You got a player who's won an NBA championship in Kawhi Leonard, right? Who is who is who is a cornerstone. You got Paul George. You have got some other pieces. You got Rajon Rondo there now, who play they call him Playoff Rondo for a reason because he's a guy that can step up his game and and end up being a difference maker for that team. If the Clippers won the NBA championship, then what would that mean for Kawhi's legacy? You not only won it in Toronto, but you're now you're going to win it in L.A. with the Clippers. And by the way, you're going to elevate the Clippers to champions of the NBA. All of us that remember the Benoit Benjamin days, the Keith Kloss days, the Maurice Taylor days, the you know the Ron Harper days of the Clippers, you know the racist owner days of the Clippers. So like, like again. I'll hearken back, Tim, to what I just said. Storylines make it. And in the West, there are all kinds of storylines. We talked about the Lakers storylines. And, you know, there are just – the scenarios are endless. The Phoenix Suns, again, another storyline. Some mixed-in young players, a great young player in Devin Booker with a veteran who is playing at MVP level right now in Chris Paul. You have a franchise, again, that is lost in the NBA Finals, has – had opportunities to make Western conference finals and then lose to the Lakers or lose to the you know the, the Sacramento Kings back in the Weber, you know, Jason Williams days. There are all kinds of storylines in the West that are intriguing. And there might be just as many over in the Eastern side of things too as well, Tim.
1: You're right, Chris, and when we come back from the break as we take our hour one break, we'll look at the Eastern Conference in the NBA playoffs. The 76ers holding top seed. You got the Knicks back in the playoffs. The the Super Team Nets. We'll break that all down for you. We'll talk a little WNBA as the Las Vegas Aces opened up their season with a big L on the road and some NFL. I'm going to get Chris's thoughts on the schedule release that happened earlier in the week and what he thinks about that. All in Hour 2 here on a Super Sunday night. It's Heat Wave Sports. It's Fox Sports Radio. All right, back at it. Hour two, Sunday night, Heat Wave Sports. Tim Unglesby and Chris Wynn. We just spoke on the Western Conference of the NBA playoffs. And, of course, the playing games will be played to determine one through eight. Chris, over in the east, the Sixers grab the one seed. Doc Rivers, he always has finds a way to have winning teams, right? Chris, wherever he goes, he always finds a way to win. You have the Knicks back in the playoffs, and then you have the super team, Mr. Wynn. The Brooklyn Nets, they have every all-star conceivable on that team. Now they just have to uh, register the wins in the postseason to earn that title.
0: First time, by the way, Mr. Ugglesby, that the Sixers have been the number one seed in the East in 20 years. Can you believe that? Mm -hmm. Allen Iverson obviously at the helm with the guys with Aaron McKee and Eric Snow and Larry Brown as the head coach. That's the last time we're talking about the Sixers as the number one seed. And they are absolutely deservedly So you're talking about a monster in the middle and MB you're talking about pieces with the likes of, uh, of Ben Simmons as well as, you know, Tobias Harris across the board. There are guys there that can fill it up to say the least. And so they're going to be formidable by by anyone's standards but we know the team that everyone's talking about we know the team that everyone's focused on and it's not just in the east it's in the west too they're looking over already there's people already scoreboard watching if you will with this brooklyn nets team because we're all going to be fascinated right tim on how this all plays out who's the number one option the number two option the number three option as long as everybody's healthy, what's what's this going to look like on the court? You know, is James Harden going to be just the main breadwinner there? You know, Kevin Durant should be, in my opinion, the best player in the NBA, the best player in the world at times. Uh, health, always a question, okay? And now we're talking, obviously, about Kyrie Irving. What is he like from a mental standpoint? From the neck up, what are you dealing with? Is he going to be a guy that's going to be able to be the facilitator and going to defer to these other guys, and then you see him go out and he has games that are just miraculous, right? He goes out and puts up 40 and has 15 assists and is you know a huge difference maker. So it's going to be just so interesting, to say the least, to see how this all goes. Uh, when you look at these early games, though, and the matchup with the Celtics and the Wizards in this in the in the situation there, uh, this is a Wizards team that can be dangerous. I mean, they have. There's no question, right, that they've got guys that can score, and you have a, you know, one of the more unique talents in NBA history in Russell Westbrook. There, uh, this is a tough matchup for the Celtics, and so I'll be uh, I'll be tuned into that game. Very interested to see how exactly that shakes out. But yeah, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not wrong, am I, Tim, when I talk about this Brooklyn Nets team as as one that's going to just draw all kinds of interest across the board? to see exactly what they do come playoff time.
1: Oh, no doubt about it. And and really you saw the team. Just think if LaMarcus Aldridge was at that point, right, Chris, if he wasn't at that point, he'd be on that team as well. He just decided that he, he didn't have it left in him. And uh, as long as they get along, I don't see a way – I don't see anybody beating them. The problem is you have Kyrie who's more worried about what's going on over in Europe. You have Kevin Durant who – I don't even think he, he when I watch, it doesn't look like he's always into it. And then you have Harden, who, when it's Harden time, Chris, it's, he's taking the shots. So I can see some dissension there. But and, and another thing, can Steve Nash hold be the glue that holds us together? That's that's a that's a huge thing too. We all remember the the big ordeal when he got that job there. So now you're coming into a different. We we just talked about postseason pressure in the NHL. It exists in the NBA as well. And could a potentially, Chris, could a two-three matchup in round two, Milwaukee and the Nets, be their undoing? I I, just, I don't think Milwaukee's deep enough this year, but I'm just saying there. You know, there are plenty pitfalls along the road.
0: There is no question that there's this kind of fly by to the seat of their pants approach. You know, in my viewpoint of this Brooklyn Nets team, you bring up Steve Nash. That's an interesting point because we're talking about a guy who's not been a coach that long. Okay, the guy is not even that far removed from being a player on the court. So look, and if you, if you bring this up, the naysayers will come to you and they'll say, Oh, look at Tyrone Lou. You know, he won a championship. The guy was barely coached for, you know, for a season they'll bring up, uh, you know, obviously they'll bring up Steve Kerr. They'll bring up uh, Luke Walton. They'll talk about these, you know, these guys who are, you know, they're not far removed from being players. So that's why they, that's why they garner respect. That's why they, but what you're talking about and what we're talking about has nothing to do with that. It has nothing to do with, you being respected by your peers. It's about being able to, you know, kind of, you know, convalesce everybody to get, being able to be the Phil Jackson type guy, right. To be able to get the personalities all working on the same page, to be able to get everybody in a situation where you can be successful or where, you know, you can, you can make a run come playoff time. And I think that's, that's one, that's the drawback for me when it comes to the Brooklyn Nets is that's the one negative that I would point to is that you don't have a coach that hasn't that, you know, you have, a, you have a head coach who's never put like something like this together. And also when I met by fly by the seat of their pants, you're, you're trying to put this all together now, you know, it's not like you've had 50 games where you've had James Harden on the court where you've had Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Blake Griffin, Joe Harris, You know what I mean? Like you haven't had all these pieces in place for, you know, 10 game stretches, 50 game stretches, you know, a whole season. You just haven't had that. And so it's almost like, you know, they're trying to figure themselves out. We're trying to figure out what it is that we see with this Brooklyn Nets team. And that's the concern I have, but everybody, I think the consensus is right. And I could be wrong. Is that talent wise? You, know, you gotta be kidding me. There's nobody, there's nobody, yeah, talent wise, if you look at this team and you see what exactly they had they put on the court on a given day, then yes, the the Lakers probably can't beat them. The Clippers probably can't beat them. The Bucks probably can't beat them. But it's not necessarily all about talent. We've seen that many times in the NBA playoffs. The most talented team does not win they should win and they win a lot of times but they don't win all the time and so that's why there's going to be some concern regarding this Brooklyn team the,
1: the Steve Nash again not to harp on it but mm-hmm. something came to mind when you mentioned Tyron Liu and how he had success with with Cleveland you you know Kristen maybe you agree maybe you don't Steve Nash was was a all world uh, NBA first team player whereas Tehran Liu, good basketball player good for what you needed but definitely not in the in the uh, the ilk right of Steve Nash. right not not even
0: comparison yeah. so do you yeah. feel
1: that maybe as a head coach and just the mentality of Steve Nash transferring from player mentality to coach mentality a lot different than a tyron Liu and and yeah he had Tyron Liu had the ultimate uh personality to deal with in lebron james there's so many though that steve nash has to deal with right now and you you know this team all of a sudden loses two games in in a best of seven and i can see the dissension start to tear it apart
0: well i understand the direction you're talking about but i think when you're talking about players making the transition to coaching Mm -hmm. in the nba you got to take it on an individual by individual basis because we've seen scenarios all over the place, right? You see Phil Jackson, who was a role player in the NBA, right? And he ends up going on and he's arguably the greatest NBA coach of all time. We've seen, you know, we're talking about Doug Collins, right? He was a first round draft pick, right? And played in the NBA for a while. He's he a good player and he was a solid coach in the NBA. Now, now you jump ahead to what we're seeing now. You've seen great players, all time greats, the likes of Magic Johnson, Isaiah Thomas, Larry Bird, right? They make the transition to, the, to coaching, and Larry Bird had some success. Larry Bird, I thought, was a pretty good coach, actually. Isaiah Thomas, decent coach, not terrible. Magic Johnson, terrible head coach. So, like, it's – so, my point being is that I think we have to take it – so, with Steve Nash, I don't know if I necessarily compare him to someone like Ty Lue. While I understand what you're talking about as far as, like, you know, them being – either a dominant player, which Steve Nash was a point, you know, MVP type player, as opposed to Ty Lue who is a role player. I don't necessarily know if that even translates or that even makes the difference. I just think the players from a player respect standpoint, I think they get respect, you know, because they played in the NBA, Tyron, Tyronn Lue, you know, uh, we also have to take into consideration the dynamic of that team at that time. Right. With Ty Lue, you got LeBron James, right. You have some other guys that are on there that are veteran guys who, you know, are almost like coaches on the floor and probably the same type of scenario too, with Phil Jackson, with Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen and those guys, you know what I mean? Like it was just a different kind of setup with Jerry Sloan, for example, Jerry Sloan, great player, by the way, and a great coach too. So Sloan, um, you know, obviously you're, you know, you're coaching the likes of, of Carl Malone and John Stockton. So uh, it has a lot to do with the dynamics of the team. And as far as a respect factor, but, As far as, you know, them being either a good, average, great player in translating to, you know, what their coaching style is. Again, I think it's all based on individual thing. And I don't know if that really comes into play when we're talking about what's happening here with Steve Nash. I don't don't know about you, Tim. Uh, I don't remember what your reaction was when he got that job. I don't think you should have got that job. And I think obviously the jury's still out on Steve Nash as a coach. But uh, I think that I I don't know if I necessarily believe that he's going to be some anchor that drags down this team. Like, I, I, I still believe, you know, as someone who's not, you know, look, I have no dog in the fight when it comes to the Nets winning a title. I think they absolutely have a chance to win the whole thing. And I don't think Steve Nash is going to be given like a ton of credit if they win it. But I also don't think that if they don't win it, he's going to get killed. I think it's just going to be a situation where, you know, they're going to be like, well, you know, it's, he's, he's still in the early stages of his coaching career. So that's kind of how, that's kind of what happened. They got beat, you know, or they, or there, there's going to be other reasons why they got beat. It's not going to be necessarily because Steve Nash is just some, you know, a green behind the ears coach in the NBA. So, uh, I guess that was kind of a long roundabout answer to what uh, what you're opposing regarding steve nash i think i think that in uh, the comparison to steve nash and the likes of other guys like teron Lew and others so um i think it's basically i think it's an individual by individual basis when you're taking a look at coaches in that way
1: understood i just I, mm-hmm. i've heard of many different th- s- theories on on um former players being head coaches and, and you mentioned a few that didn't work out, obviously, and a few that did. And the bigger the player, it seems like the harder
0: it is for them to acclimate themselves to
1: to a losing, right, Chris? I'm not used to that.
0: Not yeah, but that but, Tim, but Tim, think about this. Like Larry Bird, for example, right? Larry Bird was a good coach, right? I mean, he his approach and his mentality. Obviously, we know what he was as a player. The guy was a killer. He was, a, you know, he was a he was an assassin. He was a he was a smack talker. He was a brash. You know, very – but but as a coach, he – did. correct me if I'm wrong, Tim, but he was a guy that could relate to like, – players loved playing for him, and he was a guy that was able to communicate with whether it was Jalen Rose or it was Ron Artest or it was – you know what I mean? Like, he – there was something about Bird that, that was just different as opposed to, uh, I don't know, Magic Johnson. You know what I mean? Like, it just – Magic just didn't translate as a coach. He wasn't – you know – he wasn't. He didn't have the makeup to be the guy. When we talked about guys who are great players, everybody talks about, Magic Johnson it was just horrible, right? As a coach, he was just horrible. He was a bad. He was a bad talk show host, and he was a bad coach, you know. And so with Bird, though, it was just different. It was just a, you had a feeling like, wow, he, he, he. It looked like he belonged there, right, Tim? I mean, it just looked like he knew what he was doing as a coach, and and it wasn't just oh. This is Larry Bird, who is, you know, a top, you know, arguably a top five player of all time. And we're just going to give him the job because it's because it's because it's him that there, there just wasn't that deal. So I and and that's kind of the feeling I had with Larry Bird. Is that, is that did you two have, have that feeling?
1: Absolutely. And I, I don't know if it's the res, you, you mentioned the respect level, but it was also I think it was more that Bird had a lot to do with the players that were brought in. And I'll throw another one at you, your guy. Isaiah Thomas, right? Not exactly the best coach.
0: No, not the best, but he, but he wasn't. I don't. He wasn't horrendous. I mean, I, I thought. I mean, he. I thought he was. They had. They had a couple seasons where they were decent, right, with him as the head coach. Look, I'm not going out there and talking about Isaiah as, you know, as someone who got screwed over because of uh, he didn't have some long coaching career. And then we kind of saw what all happened with him. You know, he ends up going to the front office and all that with Dolan and and how that all worked out. But but uh, but I would put. You know, I wouldn't look at Isaiah in the same frame of magic as a head coach, and I would, but I, but I certainly, would, and I wouldn't look at Isaiah in the same framework as Larry Bird. I think that you know, uh, but they're all, they're all the, the, you know, the similarity obviously is that they were all-time great players, and it kind of leads into that, you know, leads into that quote-unquote debate that you that you put forward about about players and their stature in the game as a player and then making that transition to coaching, I think that's, uh, it makes it, it makes it, I think it makes it harder for for great players to make that transition. You know, I mean, it's, and that's kind of played out, right? I mean, from, from Phil Jackson to Rudy Tomjanovich, we're not talking about, you know, uh, guys who are all-stars every season in the NBA, right? We're talking about guys who are role players or, you know, or players that, you know, were marginal or were (laughs) marginal at best. So, that to me is uh it's 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 a very interesting to say the least debate to have because it's one of those things where you 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 almost want to believe that oh because this guy was a great player he could be a great coach and it just doesn't shake out that way you know
1: you, you know speaking of Isaiah he had a run with the Knicks the Knicks back in the playoffs Chris after 9 seasons they were projected beginning of the season at 22 wins by the Las Vegas Oddsmakers. That was the third lowest in the National Basketball Association. So 22. They hit 41. They're the fourth seed in the playoffs. to play Atlanta in round one. And I don't know if you've seen this or not, but Spike Lee, he's he's back. He's back, Chris. I'm seeing him on the sidelines getting happy. The, the old Spike Lee is back.
0: They're not – that is, again, we talked about this before about the NHL, right, the Toronto Maple Leafs. This is great for basketball, right? The Knicks are back in the mix. Um, obviously we've seen what Julius Randall has done this season. He's been talked about in the MVP conversation. Alec Burks is now back. And, you know, I thought Alec, I mean, I forgot completely about the likes of Alec Burks. He's out there putting up 30 a game, you know, on occasion. Obviously I like RJ Barrett, the young player out of Duke that they have there. They've got a couple other pieces too that are, that are, that are been spectacular for them. And so this is, it's got to be fun for Knicks fans to actually be relevant again. Right, Tim? They finally have some relevancy back in the NBA because of all the shenanigans and, you know, extracurricular activity that's gone on surrounding this franchise for the past 15 to 20 years. You know, not since, I mean, nobody's talked about the Knicks, to be quite honest with you, since the, you know, since the Chris Childs, Allen Houston days, really. That's what we're talking about here. So. Yeah, I think it's great for the NBA. It's great for the Eastern Conference, too. You got that one more team in there now that, uh, you know, because the East has been down here. We've been talking, you know, now you got a young Sixers team. You've got, you know, the Bucs are still viable. We all know about the Miami Heat going to the NBA Finals last year. And now you have a Knicks team that, uh, you know, in the media capital of the world and uh, playing in the most famous arena in the world, and uh, they're viable again. And so it is a great thing. I still question, though, and I'm kind of curious about what you think, about coaches there like what in the coaching situation like is it is it something that's solidified is it something that can change again I mean they got a young good a great young nucleus there and I think it's it's a franchise on the rise but are we uh are we dead set on what they've done as far as the guy that uh is leading that's leading the charge there as far as the head coach in New York for the Knicks
1: I like Tibbs a lot, Tom Thibodeau, the guy, right? He uh-huh. had a nice run with Chicago, and then, as we've seen, most most teams in the in the NBA at some point the novelty wears off on that coach, and they struggle, and they're they're gone. I mean, you know, talk about a league that recycles head coaches. I think Tom Thibodeau is perfect for the what they're trying to do. You mentioned it, young nucleus. Let's let's have fun, and Tibbs is the right guy to do that. As they progress and get better, and they start. Mixing in veteran free agents, I think at some point that that Thibodeau novelty wears off. But for right now, I think he's the perfect guy, and um, it's it's in that in that city in that market where generally you have a big name to surround yourself with. It's perfect for them right now, and that they can go young, upcoming superstars market more than one, and not have a head coach kind of interject and, and try to not not even not even on purpose Chris but somehow always in that market the head coach becomes a big deal and I think Thibodeau is the guy that you don't have to worry about that with so I like the direction that they're going I think the next couple years will be very interesting to see what the Knicks can do because now that even even after one year Chris getting back in now with 41 wins there will have big name free agents looking at that destination because let's face it people want to play in New York City
0: yeah, they absolutely do. It's, you know, an exciting place to play. It is, you know, there there's, look, there are hot-button spots around this country. People love playing in L.A. People love playing in Miami. And the Knicks, even, even with the disarray that this franchise has been going through for years, right, even with all the baggage that is perceived surrounding this franchise, guys still want to go play there. They still want to go play in New York still want to play in Tommy Barton's backyard, right? With, the, either, with the, either the Knicks or with the, with the Brooklyn Nets. And so it's going to be a destination spot. And it sets up all kinds of fun matchups in this East, Tim, because you talked about the Knicks, Knicks sitting at 41 and 31, right, on the season. There is a team also that is young and up and coming that has the exact same record as them and feels that they're getting disrespected, Tim, in the Atlanta Hawks, and a great young player, obviously there in Trey Young, uh, John Collins is a guy that I like also there in Atlanta. This is a franchise that started the season horribly, so horrible that they're you know that Daniels ends up getting bounced out of there, their coach, and uh, ever since McMillan's been there, they have been a team on the rise. And what do you think about this Atlanta team? I mean, this is a team that uh, I think could could absolutely throw a monkey wrench into the situation here when you've got all those jumbled up teams of the Miami heats and the, and the Knicks and the Celtics and the, you know, even the wizards and some of these other squads, Indiana Pacers, I think this uh, Hawks team could absolutely throw up a, uh, throw up a uh, stiff arm on some squads.
1: They're, they're kind of underlooked, right? When you
0: talk, you just mentioned it
1: kind of like, or overlooked is I guess it'd be a better word, right? They're overlooked and you got to love Trey Young. And that's another young nucleus of players there. I, I don't know. I, I, I think anybody can come out of that 4-5 matchup, Chris, Knicks or Hawks, definitely will have their hands full with the 76ers at that point. And um, I think both teams are just too young. To, even if they could pull it off and knock the 76ers out, and you have potentially the super team sitting there in the nets, I think it's just too much for them in this season. But if you want to start to grow and build, and Denver would be, or Denver, Phoenix, and Utah are perfect examples, that could be the next step for those set teams in their uh, their rebuild, Chris.
0: Are we sleeping on a team like the Miami Heat, though? They were just in the finals last year. Jimmy Butler's still there, obviously. They've got, you know, we we, we like to talk a lot about Tyler Hero. He's an exciting player. They've got a nice mix of young players there with veterans. Obviously, you're talking about Victor Oladipo and – And Drogic and, and, you know, Trevor Reese is actually still there. I can't believe Trevor Reese is still in the league, by the way, but (laughs) Bam out of Bayou. You're talking about, you know, uh, uh, even Kendrick Nunn and Duncan Robinson. I mean, there's, there's some, there's some quality pieces there, but do they get lost in the mix? Because you've got teams like the Sixers and the Bucks and, and obviously the Nets in the East where they're just, there's just an expectation that they could be thoroughly behind the eight ball there in that conference.
1: Look, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Um, I'll, I'm putting a little future money on the Heat to come out of the East. I, I mean, you said it. They were there in the finals, right? Mm-hmm. Much, much of that team is back. And, and let's face it, when you really look at the difference between first and sixth, it's a nine-game difference. The Sixers, 49 wins. The Heat, 40. But the Heat suffered serious injury issues at the beginning of the season that curtailed them, and, and they really played well in the last two months. And, again... A younger team, right, with with a veteran in Butler, and I love the head coach there, in Eric Spoelstra. One of the guys that's maintained his job for over a decade, Chris, which is unbelievable in the NBA. He's a guy that's been in this situation, and um, I like that experience there. Now, granted, that first round matchup is is a doozy, but I, I do like the Heat. I, I I think people are sleeping on them, and I think that's a mistake.
0: It's going to be interesting to say the least. I mean, this this Sixer team, man. I I, I mean, I want to believe that they can get to the finals. Uh, we obviously all know about the, the you know uphill battle against a team like maybe the Nets, but I mean, with all these veterans from Hill to Danny Green to you know Seth Curry to Isaiah, I mean, they're they're just you know, and we, we obviously talked about Simmons. I mean, Anthony Tolliver. There's 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 so many. You look at the Sixers team, I think people kinda of, kind of, you know, disrespect them in a way because they just think, well, it's it's Simmons when he wants to, you know, get things rolling and it's you know, it's Joel MB just dominating in the middle. And they just kind of forget about the sporting cast there in Philly. And you brought up obviously Doc Rivers. Doc Rivers to me is the ultimate chameleon when it comes to NBA coaches. This guy can go to a situation and and make them extremely viable i.e playoff ready i.e they can they can make a run to a championship look we understand doc rivers hasn't won titles every single time he's had great teams but at the same time how many coaches can you name can go from like orlando and turn them into a quality team then you go to boston and you win a title right and you may and and you turn that into a winning atmosphere you go to the clippers obviously and they we're a you know say what you want about the Clippers and I have said many things on this show today, but you know they were absolutely in the mix in the West when they had Chris Paul and Blake Griffin and those guys and, and you know Jamal Crawford they were absolutely the team that you had to deal with in the West and now he's over there in Philadelphia you you kind of capped on this uh, uh, you know earlier on in the show uh, Doc Rivers is a heck of a coach and. As much as, you know, there, there's the, kind of the rap on him is that he doesn't he doesn't get to the promised land and win it enough, you know, because he's got the one title. Uh, I, I think that, you know, people don't give him enough credit as the head coach of the Sixer team as to what they can do here, especially in the 2021 20, season for the Sixer team, Tim.
1: Chris, give me your... Pre- prediction before the playoffs start who's hosting that trophy at the end of the season I gotta go super team nets I know it's a, an, easy, an easy, uh, easy pick to make but sometimes look most talent uh, I think that the, I think their road to the finals per se is a lot easier than I pick a team out of the west and just the talent there is overwhelming and I assume they'll get along enough to win that title
0: I'm going to go a little bit outside the box here, Tim. I'm, I'm going to say the L.A. Clippers hoist the Larry O'Brien trophy for the first time ever in franchise history. You're going to have guys the likes of uh, Zubach and Marcus Morris Sr. and Patrick Beverly and Reggie Jackson. We talked about Rondo. We talked about Kawhi, obviously. Luke Kennard, okay? Paul George will hoist the trophy for the first time ever. Terrence Mann. Uh, or the, this is what we're talking about here. I just think that this Clipper team is set up, and you have a scenario where they—they get—I—I they, I think they're coming out of the West, and I—I I don't know. I just have—I have big question marks about the whole chemistry situation with the Brooklyn Nets. That being said, I still think the Nets come out of the East, but I think the i just don't think it's a good matchup. I think it's a situation where the Los Angeles Clippers become the second worst team in NBA history to win a title. The first team that was the worst team to win an NBA title was my 2004 Detroit Pistons, where they knocked off the Los Angeles Lakers without even a guy who averaged 20 points a game on that team. Look, I get it. They had Rasheed Wallace, a great player. They had, A guy in Chauncey Billups was unbelievable. You know, Rip Hamilton could score. Ben Wallace is a Hall of Famer. I get that. But that 2004 Pistons team was the worst team to ever win an NBA championship. This L.A. Clipper team in 2020-21 is going to be the second worst team to win an NBA championship. I think the Clippers bring a title to L.A. in the Lakers' backyard, Tim. I'm calling it, and I'm sticking to it.
1: That's radio personality. Chris Wynn, Tim Unglesby, Heat Wave Sports here on a Super Sunday night. And let's take our final timeout. Mateo, when we come back, we'll shift over to the ladies to talk about the WNBA, their 25th season, tipped off on Friday. And our own Las Vegas Aces played Saturday, came out on the losing end. We'll take – Love to hear Chris's thoughts on, on, the, on the ladies' performance on Saturday and how they can regroup heading into that same rematch on Tuesday. And, of course, we'll end the show with NFL schedule talk as that release happened Thursday. I want to see what Chris thinks about some of these marquee matchups we're going to get in Week 1, including your own Las Vegas Raiders. All that after the timeout. It's Heat Wave Sports. It's Fox Sports Radio. Down the home stretch, we come here on a Sunday night. It's Heatwave Sports, Tim Unglesby, along with Chris Wynn. And see when we saw the WNBA kick off their 25th season Friday night. Just a huge accomplishment in itself that the league has been around for a quarter of a century now. Our own Las Vegas Aces had their WNBA Finals rematch against Seattle. And they had the, of course, the banner drop, the ring ceremony. And then they played the game, Chris, and the Aces come out. Double-digit losers, 97-83 to the storm. Brianna Stewart, WNBA MVP, 28 points, 13 rebounds. And, again, we're one game into the season. It's hard to to really put a grasp on what we're going to see here. But um, sometimes, Chris, the same recipe – is there and what i saw from this game was no answer for Stewart which we saw in the finals and we've seen many times in the regular season as you and i have covered this team since their existence and i saw chemistry issues and we, we know that we knew that was going to be there with Plum and Camp Beige not playing last year and a couple new faces now in the lineup as well Asia Wilson continues to get better there's no doubt about that she led the team in scoring in game 1 and again, I don't want to overreact here. I'm just stating what I'm seeing. And maybe come Tuesday, when they play again, we'll see a different result. But that's what I grabbed out of game one. I don't know your thoughts on it when you watched it. Uh, just the inability to stop Stewart and, and the issues that they're, they're, there's definitely some chemistry problems there for Las Vegas.
0: No question, Tim. And a couple observations. First of all, you know, taking it back a little bit 25 years the WNBA has been in existence. I covered the old Orlando miracle and sales and those teams back in the late nineties, early two thousands. And, uh, the league a little bit different now, obviously teams in different markets, different, you know, there's, there's been some expansion. There's been, uh, you know, there's fan bases now across the country, but, uh, that was very extraordinary. This game specifically, um, here, a couple of things, Tim, a, You can't give up a 50 spot to two players, you know, on the road uh, in any game in the WNBA. And I think you're going to have a very good chance to win. Obviously, Brandon Stewart and Jewel Lloyd combined for that 50 spot. Lloyd had 22, Stewart 28 in the matchup. I thought that from a Vegas standpoint, Liz Cambage is not ready yet physically. She's not ready to play. She's not in game shape. I don't know what her workout regimen was prior to the start of the season. I think she is, without question, a talented player, someone who should be a top-five player in the WNBA. But, she, look, she ended up having a half-decent game stat-wise. But you saw you know, a lot when it came to defensively out there. She just was not, in my personal humble opinion, I don't think that she is where she needs to be as a player. Okay? Okay. And they had they had a tough stretch here in this game. I mean, basically the, the second quarter was awful for Vegas. They ended up scoring, I think 14 points in the second quarter. In the third quarter, they had 17 and uh, they played pretty well in both the first and the fourth. So it was kind of a strange setup there offensively. And both Jackie Young and Kelsey Plum, not great nights offensively. I mean, and Jackie was, uh, I believe she was like six for 15 from the field. You had Kelsey who was four or 10 from the field. So, Uh, While they both ended up with, I think, 12 points, Asia was clearly the only one that was, you know, big time offensively for the Aces here. And when you go on the road against, you know, a a team the caliber of Seattle and, uh, you know, what they can throw at you from from not only Brianna and Jewel, but also Candace Dupree. And, you know, Sue Bird still Sue Bird still doing it, Tim, still going out there. And, you know, she's not putting up huge numbers, but she's still a leader on that team. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was a rough it was a rough first game. let's put it that way for the Aces. I'm sure that, uh, that Bill La Beer is going to be you know, putting a foot in the backsides of this team and trying to get them going because that is not how you want to perform, especially Tim, right when you're a team that's expected to contend for a WNBA title.
1: Oh yeah, you're by all means the favorite to win the title. And again, we know Seattle, a very good team, I just thought maybe we'd have a better effort, and you're and you're right about the game shape. So Liz Cambage, who by all means, Chris, should be right there in the discussion of the best player in the league. Just whenever she feels like playing, she is the best. When she decides that she's taking time off, we've seen that happen. And I don't know, you know, the big the big story was well, she she had a great run in the off season overseas, but she played in a league, Chris, that is not the caliber of the WNBA. So all offense, no defense, and that's what we saw in this basketball game from Cambage, and the depth there. There's no depth at that point. Park, year, what, four? I, I, I just don't see her being a force in the WNBA. And Hanby probably too small to play in that middle position coming off the bench, so where do you have the depth? I, I don't know. It, it's uh, Something that Lane Beer has to juggle with is the – desire can i say that chris the desire of what Cam Beige puts out on that court and i hope tuesday night she comes out like a house of fire because you just talked about a 50 spot right there's no doubt wilson and camp base can put a 50 spot up on any team
0: and you talked about the sporting cast like you mentioned obviously de and, uh, and and g and gsu but uh, also you know chelsea gray's got to be more productive she, chelsea was out there for 31 minutes and you know didn't have monster numbers at all. Look, I'm not I'm not saying she's got to go out there and score 25 and have 10 assists and you know 10 rebounds. I'm talking about you know she's out there for over 30 minutes, and uh, you got to have more production than that. Even even Williams too. Williams, who by the way uh, didn't have a, uh, had pretty much a horrendous shooting night too. So uh, they got to get more of the supporting cast around them if they're going to be you know competing on that level that they're expected to be. And you know yes, Liz Cambage is 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 you know she is a polarizing type of person you know you had, you had the issue going on in the off season with the media member here right and the woman who's no longer actually employed uh, over at channel 3 and you had that situation there liz has a lot of you know off the court stuff going on as far as you know uh, social media and she you know she she had the uh, the playboy spread in the off season. she she's somebody who is very involved i will say off the court right she's got all this stuff going on and so it's a fair question to ask is you know how important is basketball to her right and you talked about her playing over that league i mean tim i don't know about you i saw some highlights of her games over there and some of those games and it is absolutely not at the level of the wnba so i mean call it what you want you call it you know uh an opportunity to get to get loose to warm up whatever It's not the WNBA. So uh, I'll be very interested to see exactly what, you know, her buy-in level is. And it's important that Bill Lambert is the coach because he's a guy who's got a lot of cachet, right? He's got a lot of, he's got a ton of juice. We're talking about a coach that has not only been a player and has won NBA championships, but he's also been a coach in the WNBA and won WNBA championships, right? And and, in, in totally different scenarios. So, uh, I don't know if you can get a coach that's got more credibility than Bill Beer So this is a team that I, you know, I, I look, they're, they're going to get it right. She'll get in game shape, but you know, it's, it's all about her with her. It's a, to me, it's about her between the years, Liz Cambage between the years. If she can, you know, get to get herself in, in, in a place mentally where she is buying in and where she is dedicated you know, 110%, then I think that makes all the difference as to whether or not this Aces team can make that run to that to that WNBA title. Tuesday night, rematch
1: from Game 1. That'll be on ESPN 2 at 7 o'clock, Aces and the Storm. And then, Chris, uh, Chris, Game 3 will be Friday night here in Las Vegas over at the Mandalay Bay as the Aces open up their home slate with the L.A. Sparks, a nice little rivalry matchup there. And uh, I don't know if you're going to be out there. I don't know if you have to work, Chris, or not. But it's going to be nice to see a lot of old friends. That's for sure.
0: Oh, no doubt. And uh, shout out to our friend John Maxwell. Does a Jiggy does a great job there uh, from a media standpoint. And 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 let's be straight about it, Tim, right? They they do a great job marketing this team here in Vegas, and they have a fan base. And they and you're not going to find a fan base that that goes out and supports a team in the WNBA more so than the Las Vegas Aces. So I think I anticipate that'll be I'm, I'm trying to actually get I mean, i'm supposed to work my gig that for that that night i'm gonna try to get out of it so i can go down because i it's it's game one right it's the first game of the season i want to go down there and see what exactly that's going to be all about uh, you know post-covid or mid to post-covid i should say and how you know the fan base supports it but it's you know in the past we've seen it tim we've been out these games we cover this team i mean it's uh that we the, the fans love it they get excited and and they're a team that's, that's talked about in this town, and, and, uh, and especially, especially in a season like this season where they can win the whole thing, and that would generate all kinds of excitement here in the city of Las Vegas, and uh, we'll see if they're able to, to make that goal a reality.
1: I, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing the murderer's <laughs> row of myself, Chris Wynn, Willie Ramirez, Jose Volante, Brian Feldman, Tony Cordasco, Coach Jim Bola, Mike Dixon. If I'm leaving anybody out, I apologize. But it's always great to see the guys out at the games and, and support the team. And, um, look, it, you know, it's been a tough, right, Chris, for everybody this past year plus, And we're, we're starting to see the reality really setting in that we're back. And um, let, let's continue that Friday night. I know it will be a limited crowd, but it's, it's going to be a good time out there.
0: No question, it is. You do get the feeling, right, Tim, that there's, uh, you know, that that the cloud is lifting and it's starting to, you know, when it from a COVID nineteen standpoint on the sports world, especially here in Las Vegas, and you know, obviously with the release of the NFL schedule last week, the high anticipation as a Las Vegas Raiders, you know, have the open up the season on a Monday night football where at Allegiant Stadium where there's going to be, you know, the, where the expectation is. You're going to have a sellout crowd there, and uh, look that uh, we we hope that translates to the WNBA and to translates to the Las Vegas Aces, and we see that you know young people as well as families get out and get a chance to support this Aces team because they absolutely have an opportunity to take home a title here in 2020
1: twenty one. Hey, Chris, we'll close things up with the NFL the schedule release Thursday, big big ordeal now every year. Just some some initial thoughts on some of the matchups and the extra week this, this season coming up. And how about Monday Night Football Week 1? My Baltimore Ravens coming to town to take on the hometown Las Vegas Raiders. Chris, I don't even know if I'm going to be able to get a credential to this game, let alone a ticket. I saw the tickets on StubHub. Jiminy Christmas, out-of-the-world pricing. I might be watching this from at a nice bar somewhere.
0: Tim, how astounding was it? I don't know if you caught it. I was bouncing around on social media the other day. They're talking about upwards of 21 to $2,200 a ticket in the lower bowl for the Monday night matchup with the Ravens in town to open the NFL season. That is extraordinary to me, given this is a Raiders team that was 8-8 eight eight last year, Tim. Okay? An 8-8 team last year. I understand it's the first time there's going to be fans in the stands. Four Raiders games next year. So, and it's Vegas, it's the Strip. And it's kind of like, you know, yes, they they the first season in Las Vegas was last year, okay? But it just wasn't the same. We didn't have any fans in the stands. Mark Davis, the owner of the Raiders, wouldn't even go to games and watch them in person until Raider Nation got a chance to head to the stadium to watch the games, which is going to be this year. You know, all intents and purposes, we're talking about full stadiums here at the beginning of this season, and it is going to be a raucous situation. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you talk about tickets. I mean, credentials. So it's going to be fun, to say the least, to see exactly. And of course, your Baltimore Ravens coming to town, Lamar Jackson, and a team that is, you know, one of the one of the better teams in the AFC. So. But I was I was blown away, bro. I was taken aback, my friend, when I saw the the ticket prices for those opening Monday night games. But uh, taking a look at the schedule, I mean, uh, to 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 kind of go fair weather a little bit, I'm not surprised to see my Lions getting a Monday night football game in the second week of the year. Obviously, it's because we're playing in Green Bay against the Packers. It's not because the Lions deserve to be playing on Monday night football. But week two, it's going to be Lions and Packers, and uh, and then, then bouncing back, and course, to the Raiders situation, seeing the Raiders, week three, they're going to be taking on the Miami Dolphins here in Allegiant Stadium here. So that'll be interesting to say the least. And then uh, another marquee matchup, obviously, later on, is going to be a Sunday night matchup against the Chiefs, which is, again, you want to talk about ticket prices, Tim. We're talking about upwards of 2000 bucks 3000 for seats to this game. I mean, it's just... It's just crazy. I mean, I, I it's just the, the people are actually spending the amounts of money they're spending for these for these tickets to see the Raiders. I mean, it, and no, look, I'm not trying to no disrespect to our Las Vegas Raiders here in town, but like you know, we're talking about thousands of dollars for a regular season game. I get it if we're talking about playoff time, but this is we're talking about regular season NFL right here, and these these tickets are going for crazy amounts of money, so uh excitement without question right Tim as you take a look at the schedule because people can you can start playing the game right we're going to do it and myself and you and Tommy we're going you know we we can all try to play the schedule game and, and now it's going to be a 17 game schedule so you can, you can all make your predictions regarding your teams but there's still going to be you know there's still that big pink elephant in the room right Tim and that's the Aaron Rodgers effect where is he going to end up is he going to stay in green bay And uh, it's, it's situations like that. And, you know, with the, you know, with the Houston Texans and what they're going to do with Sean Jackson and all this, all this, you know uh, there's still pieces out there that uh, could be added to these teams. And so we'll find out exactly what it is happens with that. And that, that will play with the schedule and play with uh, what you think your team's records going to do later on down the line.
1: How about the defending world champion, Tampa Bay Bucks? They return all 22 starters from that championship team, first time ever that a franchise has been able to do that. And in the, uh, especially in the free agency era, Chris, that they were able to bring everybody back. They get Dallas on Thursday night to open the season, so we get that game all to ourselves Thursday night, the Cowboys and the Bucks, and then just three weeks later, how about this one, Tom Brady returns to New England, Chris, to take on the Patriots.
0: Again, right, Tim? We talk about ticket prices. <laughs> They're talking about monstrous ticket prices in New England for that game, and already some intrigue added to it because you had Tom Brady Sr. Right? He got he got on, uh, I think it was Sports Talk Radio in Boston, and was talking about what that was going to mean with him going back, him and Gronk going back against their old coach Bill Belichick, and you know, matching wits in that in that game as you know the Buccaneers take on the Patriots all kinds of intrigue to say the least in that game between those two teams. So there's no doubt there's a, it's going to be a, a lot of fun. There's going to be matchups across the board. And, and look, I'm not a cowboy fan by any stretch, but I think all of us as football fans want to see Dak Prescott on the field, like healthy, want to see what he can right. do. Want to see what this Cowboys team can do with him. We saw the disaster that was that division last year and, you know, no NFL fan should want to see, no matter how much you hate, hate certain teams, you don't want to see a division winner be, you know, seven and nine or six and 10. You want them to be, you know, come on, put your best foot forward. We don't want to see that garbage. So, you know, as a guy who's a fan of a team that's probably going to go four and, you know, four and 13 this year, I, I would like to see the, you know, the, the National League East winner be at least nine and seven. And there's a couple of interesting teams in that division, right? You got the giants who added a bunch of pieces and, you know, have, have some weapons on offense now. And it's going to be kind of fun to see how those matchups with those Washington football team, Why? which by the way, Tim, why are they still the Washington football team? Why don't they have a name? <laughs> yeah. I mean, seriously, I come on, get a name. All right. It's, it's been, it's been, it's been a while. You can, you should probably have a name, but, uh, but I mean, I think you'd agree there. It's going to be kind of fun to see what those, you know, NFC East teams do in the battle division. And how about
1: this, Chris? Week eight, possibility of getting Justin Fields of the Bears against Trey Lance of the Niners. And then in week 16, we're probably going to get Trevor Lawrence of the Jags against Zach Wilson of the Jets. So all those quarterbacks we we talked about for weeks getting to cut their teeth in this – it'll be in the second half of the year. So maybe we'll get some some good football out of them.
0: Well, I'll be interested to hear what you know, Tommy's take on the whole Chicago Bear quarterback situation. Because you, you think Justin Fields? Do you, do you? What do you think, Tim? You think Justin Fields is going to be kind of expected almost out of the gate to get that gig?
1: I, I would assume so. I know they said that Dalton's the OTA starter, but that's that yep. you can just say that. You know, I, I don't see why you wouldn't do it. You just, I would go go straight out. You trade it up for the guy. Let's do it. Let's put him in there.
0: Yeah, but there's a lot of there's look, there's a lot of franchises though that trade up for guys and and are high on guys, but they're not afraid to let them sit for a season, right, or let them sit for ten games at least before you 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 know you throw that guy out there theoretically to the wolves. So, uh, yeah, but, but no, there's no doubt, y'all. Oh, Tim, there's no doubt. There's intriguing matchups across the way. And look, I have to say it as a Lions fan, I am kind of rooting for the Rams this year. I really am. I want to see what this Rams team does. You get Matthew Stafford. So Matthew Stafford's kind of in a position where there's no excuses for you anymore. Okay. You are viewed as a guy who's got weapons now. Now look, you, you can you can throw some uh, criticism their way as far as like what those pieces are, but you still had McVay, right? And you still have a defense that is absolutely outstanding, and that you would you would you would think. That your defense would give you a chance to win a Super Bowl. I mean, what do you think about this this Rams team? Do you think that Matthew Stafford can actually lead this team to to not only an NFC championship, but maybe a Super Bowl victory?
1: Maybe. I feel like I, I definitely think he's the upgrade over Goff who got him there. But it's you know, the defense is so strong in LA and they're gonna be they're gonna be good, Chris. So I definitely see them. I penciled it in a little bit. They are in my NFC Championship game. That's as much information as I'll give, though.
0: <laughs> yeah, but I'm telling you, I, I, I got to tell you, Tim, I'm excited about this Monday Night Football matchup. I mean, this is the open of the season. I mean, this is super cool, man. You're talking about it's going to be a packed stadium, and I, look, I'm nowhere near. You're not a you're not a Raiders guy. You're 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 a Ravens fan, yeah. but uh, I, I, this is going to be a, a sight to see. Let's put it that way, Tim as the you know as the raiders welcome in the baltimore ravens to open up monday night football for the 2020-21 season it's going to be uh it's certainly going to be exciting in my book
1: well as always it's a pleasure to have you on the show my man let everybody know where they can find you on social media you doing any radio this week
0: I might be jumping on over with uh, over with uh, Ken Thompson over there at SportsX Radio occasionally on KDWDWN. Uh, I also do sometimes I jump on with the guys over in the Vegas Take and and uh, and uh, as always love joining Heatwave Sports with you guys, with yourself and Tom Barden you guys do a great job and uh, thanks to the whole crew over there at Lotus uh, and on uh, what they do for us also. But you can find me on social media. You can find me at, at Christian Win. On Twitter, also at, at uh, Christian WN on Facebook, and at C Win77 on Instagram for all you youngsters.
1: Well, have a good week, my friend. I hope I see you Friday night.
0: Yes, I'm a, I hope to see you Friday night, and uh, let's go Aces. Let's see if they can uh, get that victory there uh, in uh, response uh, to uh, how the season started so far.
1: That's radio personality Chris Wynn joining us here on Heatwave wave Sports tonight. Everybody have a great sports week. We will be back at it next weekend, of course, right here, only on 99 FM, 1340 AM. That's E-Wave Sports, Fox Sports Radio. Good night.